My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I am Iron Man. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Post Credit Podcast. I am your host, Eric Italiano, senior writer at ProBible.com. Today, I am joined by my co-host, Kate Onder, who you could find writing about comic books over... Scratch that, reverse it, who you could find writing about video games over at comicbook.com. And we are joined today by our part-time guest, longtime friend, Brandon Katz. going on today, buddy? Thank you so much for having me back, man. I really appreciate it. Cade, you know, you, you have surpassed you, even myself in this role, but I still like to come back just to, you know, just to let you know, I'm still watching over your shoulder, buddy. I still help found this podcast. We're still lurking. It. He's still lurking like a soul of the damned. B, I had brought you to the screening of Doctor Strange. Yes, sir. Specifically, Good date. just Good bro date. Specifically, just so I could have you on the podcast. So, thank you, man. That's efficiency right there. That's how you um, do podcast. But before we get into Doctor Strange and also Moon Knight, we're going to be talking about the new trailers of House of the Dragon and Obi Wan Kenobi. But first, some quick news: Doctor Strange, as we touched on, is projected to make anywhere from 200 to 300 million dollars in its opening weekend it made 36 million dollars on thursday night i'm not sure where that ranks in terms of mcu films but just on face value it sounds like it's probably going to be if not no way home successful then like a tier below it star wars and xbox are giving away custom xboxes with star wars characters on them to celebrate star wars day all you have to do is follow the xbox account retweet the official contest tweet we posted it on our Twitter, so make sure you check that out at Pod. Final piece of news that I wanted to touch on this week is the reports that Justin Lin walked away from Fast and Furious. Kate, I feel like this is your fault, kind of. I don't know. Yeah, I, I uh, immediately after, like, rumors broke, like, I don't even think, like, the statement had been released yet, like, Deadline or someone reported that Justin Lin was walking away, and then I went to Vin Diesel's Instagram to see if he had said anything, because he usually does he likes to talk and the last thing that he had posted at that time was a video of him and justin lynn hanging out on set and justin lynn looked so uncomfortable and like he didn't want to be there and it later came out that this was a day before that he left and had like a big fight with vin diesel so I think he was just like, get the, get me the fuck out of here, man. Get me the fuck out of here. The report stated that he turned, I mean, he's losing out on anywhere from 10 to $20 million. Uh, the source said that, that they've never seen anything like this. Reports indicate that Vin Diesel's behavior is a large reason why he decided to walk away. He was reportedly showing up late, out of shape, didn't know his lines, et cetera, et cetera. Probably also very creatively controlling now that they've gotten Louis Leterrier, Leterrier, who's oh, yeah. directed um, uh, Now You See Me, which apparently is not that bad, but it's based fine. on principle alone, I fucking hate that movie. And, um, and, and I think he also directed The Incredible Hulk. This movie is reportedly now going to cost over $300 million. It cost them a million dollars a day to keep the crew and locations on standby. Brandon, whenever I talk about dollar signs is usually when I kick it to you. What do you think of this Fast X mess? It's just so crazy because in recent installments, the Fast and Furious franchise has become not quite the moneymaker for Universal that you would think. The talent profit participation is so enormous that it does really cut into like the bottom line for the studio. Yes, they're obviously still one of the biggest franchises on the planet. They're making huge grosses. And yes, of course, Universal is still making money. But those margins are, are thinner than you think as this series goes on and everyone's 
you know, salaries and, and percentages of box office and whatnot go up. So this is probably uh, uh, almost a blessing in disguise because Universal is most likely excited to start sunsetting the Fast and Furious franchise with this part one and the next one being the part two conclusion and pivot to Hobbs and Shaw, if for nothing else than just cost control. But uh, yeah, this is crazy. It's a little bit surprising because Vin Diesel is so over the top committed to the Fast and Furious franchise and believes it's so such high art action cinema to hear that he's kind of been a lackadaisical, unprofessional participant. But, uh, you know, that's unfortunate. You got to balance egos in this game. I don't blame Justin Lin one bit. And, uh, you know, I I hope he gets the rest and and relaxation he deserves because he seems like a good dude. He doesn't have to put up with this shit after five movies. Yeah, absolutely. And I am always here for anything that brings down the reputation of Vin Diesel. Um, I still like Pitch Black now. Okay, fair enough. You uh, can have that one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, next topic. House of the Dragon official trailer. Cade was but a wee lad when Game of Thrones first started, so he has decided to recuse himself from these uh, <laughs> discussions. So B and I, the old heads on this show, will take over now. Brandon is a book reader, so I believe you have. Oh. So, like, this is... The show is based on stuff from the books, correct? So this show is specifically based on Fire and Blood, which is essentially like, imagine a textbook, a Westerosi textbook that, you know, details historical events. Having said that, the actual events of the show are discussed throughout the main uh, Game of Thrones, Fire and Ice saga and reference. And I think they did a really clever thing with the first trailer last year that had a title card that said 200 years before the events of Game of Thrones, which not only gives you and the casual fan an idea of the timeline of this series, but also subtly suggests that the events of this series are so monumental, so crucial that they the ripple effects spread across centuries and impact what we see 200 years later in the main saga. And this latest trailer that delves a little bit more into the kind of political jockeying and, and precarious situation of the Targaryen dynasty at the time is I personally think very, very effective. And having known what sort of things are to come from book events, the, the general skeleton of what's going down, it's going to be really cool. It's the Targaryen civil war. It's the dance of dragons, which essentially is the match that lights the fuse to the downfall of the Targaryen dynasty. Which is how we find them in Game of Thrones. Yeah, exactly. You know, we, we, when we first meet them in Game of Thrones, there is no Targaryen dynasty. You know, Danny's the only one left. This is going to show how essentially the foundational pillars of the Targaryen dynasty were, were knocked out and crumbled. Yeah. I mean, look, I've, I've been somebody who has defended Game of Thrones since it's gone off the air. I think that people who lump in the final season and allow that to affect their opinion of the overall experience and show are foolish and are costing themselves what was a very enjoyable experience at the time, which is to say that I'm going into this clean. I'm forgetting any sort of preconceived notions or feelings about Game of Thrones that I once held. To that end, the trailer, I thought it looked great. I think that it's funny to compare how the first season of this show looks compared to how the first season of Thrones looked. The first season of Thrones looked like, despite how much they spent on it, looked like a cheap play. This looks like the budget picked up from where they left off. I think the cast is fantastic. But I am wondering if, as the years pass since Thrones has gone off the air, and as we've seen various networks try to recreate that Thrones magic. We've got Lord of the Rings this year. A Wheel of Time just came out. Is that it, B? Yeah, Wheel of Time. You got it. 
No, but I'm saying are there more of them? Fantasy shows that have come Witcher. out in the past few years. Netflix has like a new Witcher. fantasy show every fucking ten you know days. Witcher is a great call. Yeah. They also did Shadow and Bone, and Witcher is crush it. But I'm just wondering if the lightning in the bottle that was Game of Thrones is going to be harder for HBO to recapture than they think. Well, listen, it's not going to put up Game of Thrones numbers, but you look at any like third party metric like Parrot Analytics or something, Game of Thrones, the show, despite ending three years ago, is still massively in demand, massively watched. One of the most pirated shows each year since it's been off the air. So the 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 yearning and desire for the world of Westeros is still there. I, I think House of Dragons is going to be big. What do you think it's going to take to do that then? Good storytelling, you know, like if it sucks, it'll put up big numbers and be front loaded and then taper off. If it's good, it can grow an audience over time. Listen, it's never going to reach Game of Thrones numbers. That I think is probably the last example of the kind of TV monoculture to that global degree. I mean, they had 44 million people watching across the entire week just on HBO kind of digital channels, not to mention any piracy. But, uh, you know, if they bring the storytelling goods, if it's, if it's an engaging story in which we're really rooting for slash hate certain characters and the set pieces are great and the, the dragon battles are epic, you know, people are gonna be like, this is awesome. This is what we've been missing. And, uh, you know, it's that HBO quality, not this, you know, no offense to Shadow and Bone. I just feel like a lot of the Netflix YA fantasy and a little bit to the Wheel of Time on Amazon are just a lesser tier of quality. It doesn't mean they're bad. doesn't mean they don't have their attributes, but, you know. Game of Thrones at its best was like the best pitcher throwing his best stuff for nine straight innings. Exactly, exactly. And I, what I think is cool about this show is that when Thrones came out, outside of Sean Bean, who, of course, spoiler warning, was killed in the first season. What? No, I didn't do that. Uh, (laughs) Um, The cast was largely unknowns. Yep. This is a show whose cast I recognize Olivia Cook. Matt Smith, Reese Iffins, uh, Patty Considine. So that's not, while not quite a star studded cast, there are names and previously established talents evolved to the show, which I think could help it in the early days, bring a sort of prestige that it might need. B, are you more excited for this or Lord of the Rings? Uh, I'm most excited to find out what the blonde wig budget is on House of the Dragon. It's got to be here. No, uh, I'm more excited for House of the Dragon. I'm hopeful for Lord of the Rings, but that first teaser was so-so. And the lack of marketing since, I mean, no name, no character name posters, uh, you know, nothing else really showing off the massive budget. The the relative inexperience of the showrunners, I'm, I'm a little bit on the fence. I'm not sold on Lord of the Rings. you think that they're doing that just because they know that there's so much summer content? That's about to be spilled out in the next eight weeks. I I think yes to a degree, but also TV, even a blockbuster show like Lord of the Rings doesn't need to be treated like a movie where you need to start marketing massively six, eight months out. You just, it doesn't need that long of a runway. That's just, you know, always been the way that the medium works. So it's understandable why they haven't done more. I just think they could be doing more. I, I would be hyper-targeting the general audience, not just fantasy fans or, or people who watch The Wheel of Time. And same thing with, uh, you know, Game of Thrones. The fact is they've released two trailers in this time it's taken Amazon to release one very, very nondescript teaser for Lord right. of the Rings. Right. Now, Kate, have you seen Game of Thrones at all? I've seen, like, half of the first season. Do you have any intention <laughs> of finishing it? Uh, well, that was, like, uh, 10 years ago almost. So I don't know. I feel like at this point maybe I should have... Uh, I think I, I had the mindset of like, oh, 
like I, it's so far in at this point that I don't know. I'll wait till it finishes, and then it finished, and everyone's like, "This shit sucks." So right. I was like, uh, it, "It's I don't worth know. the journey, man. You should try it." All right. I, uh, I well, have the like point that I'm trying to make is: Do you list. have any interest in the prequel, despite not having seen the show? Yeah, no, now you're not. all grown up, man. <laughs> not, not particularly. Uh, I mean, I like that everyone's wearing like super blonde wigs. That's pretty cool. But uh, okay, well, I, let me ask you this: If if Eric comes back on this show, like halfway through House of the Dragons first season, is like this is epic, like one of the best like <laughs> blockbuster shows in the last couple of years, would you then be like, all right, I think I might hop into it? Probably, yeah. That's that's good. And now, do you have any interest in the Lord of the Rings show? Not at all, no. And okay. I, I enjoy, I <laughs> I have not seen, uh, what is the the Return of the King, but I've the seen the one. other two. Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> you're you're going to kill Brandon today. <laughs> and like, uh, I'm, I'm not like the biggest Lord of the Rings fan ever, but like to not have... Finish the trilogy. What? I, it was like they're so long, and so I got <laughs> I got the first two, you know, and uh, like someone gave me their like 4K code that they got with their box set, and they're just like, watch this, and I was like, sure, I've been wanting to watch these. This is my perfect chance, and I watched the first one at home, and then they had an IMAX screening of the Two Towers, and I went and saw that, and that was really cool. And then I was like, all right, I need to watch the third one. And that was like two years ago, and I have not gotten back to it, because it's like a five-hour movie, so it's like, I gotta make a day out of it. <laughs> I think a problem with the Lord of the Rings marketing so far, and, that, and that's something that House of the Dragon has built in, is B, you said it, they could put in the title card 200 years before the events of Thrones. I don't think the Lord of the Rings show has that inherent connection. Yes, it's in the same world and the ring still exists, but outside of that, there's no sort of crossover, both in terms of lore and in terms of like... Well, there's a couple characters like Elrond, who's played by Hugo Weaving. But, but, but not by the same actor. No, not by the same actor. And it does, if memory serves me, I think it's a thousand to two thousand years before Which the is, events of Lord of the Rings. That, that's yeah. a stretch. Yeah, so I'm curious. I, I think at this point, I tend to agree with you. I would It wouldn't surprise me if House of the Dragon outperformed Lord of the Rings, which would be Amazon spending a billion dollars just to lose. That is, that's really unfortunate. I'm just going to say I'm not going to shed tears for him. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to the next big trailer of the week was the Obi-Wan Kenobi trailer. Now, this is, I think, the second. None of these, I think, would count as full trailers, right? But they're officially titling this one official teaser trailer. Whatever the hell that means. I actually Just think words. that they have done an excellent job of selling the show so far by what they're not showing us and going with the classic less is more. Cade, since I know that Star Wars is something that you do care about, at least more than Game of Thrones, <laughs> what did you think about the trailer in terms of how hyped you are for this show compared to the Star Wars shows that we've seen it just has such a distinct direction. It it feels like uh, this is the natural evolution of of what we last saw Ewan McGregor doing, right? Like it just has a uh, vision and aesthetic. It's very dark, like in a way that matches where he is mentally, uh, and I I I just love that. And and I like being able to see something we haven't seen probably since the prequels is like a big city, like a thriving neon lit city. That was like a prequel thing that they have not really gone back to since uh, that era. So that's, that's cool to see them kind of diving back into there and seeing just people that like weren't really big, big roles uh, like uh, 
Uncle Owen. What what's the actor's name? His name is Joel Edgerton. Yep, yep, yep. He like was just a guy at the time, yeah. <laughs> and now he's he's like our main character in the show. And so it's cool to see them getting integrated and stuff. And uh, I'm I'm really excited for it. It looks really special and and like they have a story to tell on like boba fett which is just like throw some characters in a blender well, that sort of what leads happens to, to my next point and i think you just said it there why does this look so much better than that show just because it has a real story to tell b it's so funny because it's like with with boba fett and with solo here is a character that is very, I think, for the most part, well-defined within the screen time they are given in the original trilogy. Now, obviously, Boba Fett had a, a lot of awesome expanded universe uh, uh, adventures, but they, they fulfilled their roles as really, really, really great supporting slash secondary characters. No, I don't know if anyone was truly clamoring for solo projects and or the characters could support their own solo projects, no, no pun intended. Obi-Wan, on the other hand, plays such an instrumental role in the most important occurrence in the 200,000 years of this fictional history that there is so much more room to tell additional stories. And frankly, he is the one character, particularly from the prequel era, that fans worldwide have been clamoring more for. It wasn't like anyone was on Twitter being like, I need my Han Solo origin story. No one was really doing that en masse. So you just have a little bit more room to operate both narratively and from an audience goodwill standpoint, because we're giving the people what they want, but we're also doing it in a fun and exciting way. And I think the ability to marry that with crowd-pleasing elements, like taking the Inquisitors from animation and giving them their live-action debut, debut that is so cool, inventive, and again, a great way of having, and I don't want to diminish animation at all. It's not what I'm saying, but because it has a smaller audience, you could think of it as a really, really helpful development league where the best stories, elements, and, and characters can ping-pong into live-action. And so doing that with Inquisitors and other things, it's just a great way to funnel the best content upwards. Now, as I said, the teasers we've seen so far go for a very much less is more approach. We don't see Obi-Wan, let alone use his lightsaber, even unsheath it. What do you think about their choice to do that so far? I personally am of two minds. I like holding back in terms of marketing, but I will be disappointed if that translates to the show. Point being... One of the big Moon Knight complaints mm -hmm. that I think the three of us have had is that Moon Knight is barely in it. Now, they basically showed us all of the, and we'll get to the Moon Knight ending in a bit, <laughs> trust me, but they basically showed us all of the Moon Knight action in the trailer. At the time, we didn't realize it, right? So this makes me of two minds of the Obi-Wan trailer. Are they holding back on lightsaber action for effect or are they holding back on it because they don't have that much of it? And if that's the case, if there isn't that much, I will ultimately be bummed because to the point that you guys made, this is a character fans want to see, right? Fair. But what do they want to see him doing? And what do I always say about what do I want to see Batman doing? I want to see Batman doing Batman shit. I want to see <laughs> Obi-Wan doing Obi-Wan shit. Mind tricks, training Jedis, and first and foremost, using his lightsaber so i think the marketing has been intelligent in the way that it's sort of like getting us to edge to the point of like we're gonna show you the saber at some point just not yet but i'm 
that does worry me that if this is Obi-Wan sort of just wandering through the desert for six weeks, that's going to be a problem too. I gotta disagree with you, man. I, I'm perfectly fine if this show is an Obi-Wan detective story, <laughs> essentially of him putting pieces together. And frankly, but we that doesn't know- seem like but that doesn't seem like the show it's gonna be. It seems like it's an on-the-run show. I mean, he's definitely using blasters we've seen in that, but we know Hayden Christensen is returning as Darth Vader, and they have Lucasfilm by their own admission have hyped up the 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 meeting of student and master once more before a new hope. So I know for a fact, not for a fact, but I, they're going to cross swords in that duel. And if that's the only lightsaber action in all of Obi-Wan, that's the only lightsaber action I need. Obi-Wan, Darth Vader meeting up for the first time since he put on the suit. Like, I'm good. I don't need him one to duel. Any other. One yeah. duel. I'm cool. Because listen, they're going to have other action. He's going to be flipping about. He's going to be moving things with his mind. Cool. I'm good with that. If it's that's the only lightsaber action, particularly as he's trying to be incognito, and hey, I saw a guy using a lightsaber. He's probably a fucking Jedi. Let me report him to the 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 uh, the, uh, the Galactic Empire. I- I'm cool if that's the only one. And even frankly, though it's I a battle, it even though it's a battle between two characters whose fates we already know. Yeah, I'm I'm fine with that. Okay, okay. They they must know that they have to stack up to the last fight in Revenge of the Sith in some capacity, right? That's a high bar if you're gonna be making these guys fight again. Like yeah. I, I totally believe they will. Uh that's a high bar. Uh so I'm interested in seeing the quality of that fight right. on Disney right. Plus. If you you're know, gonna do it, go big. You gotta go big, yeah. Uh I mean, I don't know how much bigger it goes than fighting next to a volcano. So I don't yeah. know. But uh yeah, no, I, I I do agree. Like I I I want to see lightsaber action, but at the same time, Hugh McGregor is good enough to carry a show on his back, like True. all the way through. And there's other lightsabers in the show we've already seen that with the Inquisitors and stuff. Yeah. So you still get some sort of fill there. Um, but I want to see, you know, if if Inquisitors are a big part, I would I want to see him fucking some of these guys up, you know, right. Um, but I also don't mind if he is kind of laying low and still using the force, but in subtle ways. So it's not like explosive action all the time. There, there, there can be a balance. And um, like B said, I, I like the idea of uh, a detective story for him. I, I don't think that's what this will be necessarily. But I mean, the prequels revolved around that idea in, in several of the movies so well, that uh, he was more of a tax man in those movies <laughs> so, <laughs> well said yeah. very well said yeah so we'll see I, I i think this is probably going to be the best disney plus show yet if i had to put a stake in it but that's disney plus show period far. not I just star so. wars i think so because like i don't think there's been anything that's wowed me too hard and this is the first one that looks like it has a uh, vision and direction. i think it's i think it's worth pointing out that the director of this series deborah chow directed some of the best episodes of mando so that bodes well brandon touched on this a bit b you could run it back if you have further thoughts if not kate and i will touch on it what does this series have to do for you to consider it a success? Not in terms of viewership, just in terms of you and your own personal fandom. That's a really great question. I think the reason Obi-Wan's always been my favorite character is because he, even more so than Yoda, even more so than Qui-Gon, in my opinion, is most responsible for the downfall of the Jedi Order. And that's indirectly and, and obviously unintentionally. But what does that guilt and regret and sense of failure do to a man and how do you reconcile that and how do you within yourself strive for redemption if they can answer those things show obi-wan trying to overcome such a monumental personal tragedy and and 
obstacle, I'd be like, wow, I'm tearing up. This is amazing. I love you, you and McGregor. I love you, Star Wars. Like, that's what I want to see. And, and again, Obi-Wan, I'm the guy who's always being like, they have to move out of the Skywalker saga. I'm so bored. But you know, from the day we started this podcast, Obi-Wan is the one character I want to see re- return to because he's just my favorite of all. Kate? Yeah, I'm the same way. I need some sort of euphoric feeling here. Like, just like this this long gestating buildup over these years of of something we've all wanted it's there's a lot of expectations here you know i kind of want like a logan style story here and it kind of seems like we're getting that at some level i mean i know Mm. it's a disney plus show but like to have a character that is i love that shout i love that i mean like we're having a character who's older and you know reckoning with his past and his his mistakes and and protecting a child and (laughs) all these things so uh, to to go deep and not just have it be cameo city and have a character driven story about one of the best Star Wars characters, probably the best in my opinion. Mm. Um, <laughs> I think uh, there's there's a lot of potential here, and everything they've shown so far, I have a lot of hope for. But I need them to fulfill some sort of deep feeling inside of me to leave feeling like, oh my god, a weight's been lifted off my shoulder. Obi Wan, the goat still remains so i mean just that one quick exchange in the trailer where obi-wan tells lars you know when the time comes the boy must be trained and he just shoots back at him like you trained his father you yeah like that's exactly what i'm talking about like obi-wan is the failure and he has to figure out how to marry that with carving out a future for for the jedi or whether or not the jedi you know even should have a future because we obviously know he doesn't come back to luke and for for years and years so i just think that's all very interesting absolutely for me, it's less about Obi-Wan, the character, and more in terms of Star Wars as an, a general vibe. You know, I will point out that Mando and Rogue One are the two times that Star Wars has made me understand its sort of magic and made me realize and be swept away by, uh, by the emotion that has made it one of the most powerful media franchises that we have. So if they could, in any way, shape, or form, get me to stop and pause and be like, oh, fuck yeah, Star Wars. That's, that's kind of really all I need. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we're back, we're talking about Moon Knight and Multiverse of Madness. All right, and we are back talking about the season one finale, question mark series finale, question mark hour of our lives that we will not get back, question mark. <laughs> no, I'm just being harsh. I'm just being harsh. All right, let me run through a quick recap, and then we'll share our thoughts. As Harrow frees Amit and slays the other Egyptian gods, Tuaret tells Layla to find Khonshu's... Oh, this is a fun one. <laughs> you... You, you Shabiti. <laughs> U-S-H-A-B-T-I. Good luck with that one, folks. And release him so he can revive Spectre. Again, this sentence is the epitome of my problem with this show so far you've got to do x to do y to save z from b and it's just it's obnoxious at a certain point after doing so Kanshu battles Amit but is overpowered meanwhile Spectre refuses to stay in the field of reeds and returns to the Duat to rescue Grant with Tar- Tuaret's help they escape through the gates of Osiris and awaken their body sensing their return Kanshu rebonds with them, healing them and restoring their powers. Layla discovers that Amit can be defeated if several gods' avatars bind her into a dying avatar. So she bonds with Tuaret, 
and joined Spectre, Grant, and Conchu in fighting Harrow and Ahmed. You follow this, everybody? Well, when you say it like this, <laughs> this is the Wikipedia summary. I know, I know, I know. That's why, you know, I, I'm more of a defender and we'll get to this, but when you lay it all out down like this, I'm like, ooh, that, that doesn't sound so so uh, easy to, to follow. <laughs> Dude, this is how I felt the whole fucking season. All right. <laughs> now I've literally lost my place. <laughs> where, where am I here? Uh, so she bonds with Tuara and joins Spectre, Grant, and Khonshu in fighting Haro and Amit. Haro overpowers Spectre and Grant but they black out and they somehow defeated him. Somehow Palpatine returned. Like, this is what we're fucking dealing with here, dude. All right, focus, Eric. I'm losing my grasp here (laughs) because this is all so ridiculous. Um, Oh, okay. Uh, And find out and they somehow defeated him. Spectre and Layla seal Amit in Haro's body. Imprisoning her, Khonshu urges Spectre to execute Haro and Amit. But Spectre refuses and orders Khonshu to release him and Grant from their service. The pair then find themselves in the quote-unquote hospital, but choose to continue their new life together, sharing the same body. In a mid credit scene, Harrow is abducted and executed by Jake Lockley, Spectre and Grant's third alter ego, who is still bonded to Khonshu. Woo! Look, man, I mean... <laughs> I didn't even realize this when, when I copied and pasted. Again, this is the Wikipedia recap. I did not write this myself as a joke. But this basically is sort of the epitome of this show so far. MacGuffin chasing ad nauseum. Now, I actually thought, I thought that the first, we're just going to have a general chat about the show because I don't think it really gave us anything plotting-wise in terms of the MCU, which I think is not necessarily a bad thing if the show was good, but it wasn't. So not only are we not connecting to greater Marvel lore, but we weren't given a good show. So I thought that the first five, 10 minutes, I was a bit lost, but then I got into a a rhythm throughout the middle, I'd say half an hour where Mark and Steven are arguing, but switching bodies and fighting at the same time. And you've got Amit and Khonshu as giant beings fighting in the background. And Steven and Mark, now that I finally understand their trauma, I'm able to understand their relationship and appreciate their dynamic more. And I'm thinking, okay, this is pretty cool. They're fighting. We're getting action. We're getting character development. It's all finally starting to become a stew, an actual real meal. And then as I was thinking to myself, okay, they've turned it around. This finale is not bad. The episode cuts to black at the moment our hero is defeating the main villain. Which is frustrating for a few extremely annoying reasons. First and foremost, they've been pulling this shtick the entire show, right? Second of all, it robs us of what should have been a dope action sequence. Third of all, it's the climax of the show. So not only have they been using the same, how did that just happen bit that they've been going with the whole time, but they did it at the moment that you're supposed to be getting the ultimate answers. And then to cut all that to black and to have it be answered, not even within the body of the show itself, but within an ad addendum post credit scene, to me is Marvel at their absolute worst. And so those are my general thoughts about this show, which I had. And that is why Obi-Wan also worries me because going into Moon Knight, I was like, okay, incredible performer, incredibly cool character getting their own runway to do their own thing. 
And Marvel, to me, botched it gloriously. So, I mean, I think that I enjoyed Hawkeye more than I enjoyed this show. So those are my general thoughts on the finale and the season as, as a whole. B, I know that you were higher on the season than I was, but then your finale tweets saw you regress a bit, I think. So why don't you talk us through where you're at now? I mean, it, it's probably my third or fourth favorite MCU show uh, that they've put out. I uh, definitely liked it overall. I, I think when I'm looking at it holistically, six episodes in the rear view, it's rushed at the beginning, really well done in the middle, rushed at the end. And I'm like, come on, guys, you know, let, let's either take an episode out or when necessary, which I think Moon Knight qualifies for, add an episode or two in. Because going from the episode five backstory into a very compressed uh, finale, it was jarring. Uh, I, I, in terms of just the finale, I think the juxtaposition of Moon Knight and Layla kicking ass on the ground with the backdrop of the kaiju god fight was awesome. I Seth. loved that. Agreed. And then I and then I agree completely with what you just said. To use the blackout moment at the climax of the show, which is essentially the reveal you've been teasing all season and which now we know sets up season two, to skip over that only for it to be a very unnecessary, needless post-credit scene was simply just, it was just bad planning. Like the, um, uh, the, the head writer's name escapes me. So I apologize in the moment. He's smarter than me. He could do a better TV show than I ever could. But that was just the wrong move in terms of how you want to set up not only your conclusion, but also future stories. It robbed us of what should have been a, a really heroic moment. At the end of the day, I, I think Moon Knight was very inconsistent. I love the, the mythology. I think the Egyptian uh, uh, gods are such a cool new wrinkle. I love the performances all around, especially by Oscar Isaac. I think the, the body's kind of swapping uh, uh, humor was great. But the endless MacGuffin chase, and not just a little bit, like you said, but the endless MacGuffin chase and, and, and the, the structure and then the lack of Moon Knight overall throughout the show left a lot to be desired. So I think it's imperfect. Uh, I enjoyed it more than you did. I, I liked it overall. I think a second season of this show with some tweaks could be excellent. Okay. Cade? was visibly frustrated by this <laughs> program. Um, <Pro> program. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was like, I loved episode five. Same. So much. I was like, oh, they've cracked it. They figured it out. Uh, and I thought it was just some of the, the best stuff they've done on Disney Plus to date. And then you follow it up with this. And it's like, this is already, I think, a step below a lot of the other mediocre-ish episodes of the rest of the season. But just even a, a roller coaster drop from episode five. Like, yeah. It's like craters. Yes, absolutely. Um, it's just, there's so much going on. Like, Mark's dead and now we got to revive him. And now Khonshu has to leave what's going on over here to come back. And they're like, Oh, how do we get back? Oh, we can teleport and stuff or like fly you up. And like, it's just like messy. Cause you have all these people on different places trying to get them all back together. And it's like, they didn't, I don't think think about how they set up all of that ahead of time. And then realize at the end of like, Oh, everyone's super spread out. And, uh, also, there, there was a part at the beginning of this episode. Yeah, literally, Kachu was like, don't forget, you can fly. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I guess. Would have been um, useful. Yeah. Uh, 
there's a part of the beginning of this episode where Layla is like in the convoy on like the highway or whatever, and she's sneaking up, I think, to kill Haro. And she pulls down her mask and just brings out a giant knife and just starts walking around with it in the open. And I'm like, you're trying to be discreet here. You're doing a fucking awful job. And I, I think she's one of the dumbest characters in the show because she repeatedly does shit like this. And I, I mentioned the stuff with the flares a couple episodes ago. Yeah. Just like It was a repeat of that. I'm like, what are you doing? Um, so the show just aggravates me on so many levels. And just the robbing us of the Jake Lockley moment within the show uh, by like, I thought they were going to be like, what was that? Like Mark was that, you know, was it Steven was that, you know, and, and then be, have like the third personality come out. Right. And then they didn't. And I'm like, what the fuck was that? And yeah. then for a show that they've been adamant about, well, we don't know if there's going to be a season two. Yeah. And then, and then they, they say it for the post credit scene and it just felt so like, I just didn't care. Like, I, I, I don't, think I don't the Lockley reveal goes hand in hand with the mishandling of the psych ward because he gets shot, right? He wakes up in the psych ward and they're obviously doing like, the oh, was he crazy the whole time? Right. But we all know as viewers, we know, okay, they're going to solve this like very quickly. So it, it's not that, that big of a deal. It's a fun little, not a red herring, but you know, a, a, a fun little workaround, a little circuitous sure. cul-de-sac. Once they solved that, and we're like, he's not crazy. They never actually explained what the psych ward is at all. Mm-hmm. If you notice, they, they, they don't. Is it a, a shared mental state or is it a, another Egyptian realm? Why is Harrow not aware of what's going on? Is he just a projection of Mark and, and Stephen's own mind? They never actually answered that. They just used it as a kind of trippy, dippy side door entrance. And I think that goes hand in hand with Jake Lockley in the sense of, here are these interesting pieces like on an NFL on offense that you're deploying in the wrong way. You're using these weapons in a way that doesn't maximize their potential. That's how I felt. And I think they go hand in hand. Having said that, I still think the weirder and darker it got, the better it got. Yes. You just highlighted a big problem with just like stuff happening for the sake of stuff happening, like weird trippy stuff. You know, that's, that's something that's just like, I get where you're going, but like, they spend so much time in the psych ward after it's introduced, like episode five and six both have things with the psych ward in them. So like you need to do more there than just be like, Oh, it's here for five minutes. You can kind of just write it off. It's like, this is a big plot device and is where Harrow presumably is murdered. So like, <laughs> I don't know what that means. Is he dead, dead forever? I have no idea. I, we don't know the rules of this place. Exactly. It, it, <laughs> They're using it so he can travel through his own memories. And I get that. Yeah. But I think we need not not just for an explanation just to satisfy our curiosity, but something that makes it a little bit more personal and inherent to the character development and, and the journey into the kind of great beyond of the Egyptian mythology, beyond just like, here's a trippy place where we're going to exposition dump. Yeah, exactly. I, I want to get to two points before we move on to Doctor Strange. Where do you think the character goes from here in terms of how he's integrated into the MCU? Now, I had seen reports out there today that there was an early draft in which the Eternals were going to appear in this show. Do you think Marvel continues to silo this character and his world off and continue to sort of see if he could figure it out on his own? Or do you think an impending Blade, Black Knight sort of crossover is coming next? Do you think Moon Knight Season 2 is about Moon Knight? <laughs> yeah 
I, I think they'll probably have some sort of crossover thing uh, just because they were already trying to do it apparently in this season, but Eternals bombed. So, you know, maybe <laughs> they decided ah, this isn't the direction we want to go. Um, I don't know. Well, like, are, are we in the minority on like kind of not liking it? Because I've seen a lot of I, people I like say that. I know. Sorry. I shouldn't <laughs> include you in this. Uh, but like, I me think Eric it's pretty 50 50. Okay. I've seen a lot of people being like, I loved it. I thought it was great. And I'm not trying to be dismissive or insulting to anybody but i'm like I, I don't know what there is to really like about this this particular episode if you like the rest of the show that's i totally get that but like i was like i i don't even the action wasn't very satisfying in my opinion and then the next thing i want to touch on is how does this make you feel about the rest of the mcu shows we have to come we've got not a particularly enticing slate coming up miss marvel she hulk werewolf by night the Guardians of the Galaxy Holiday Special, Secret Invasion, Iron Heart, Armor Wars, and an untitled Wakanda series. I'll tell you off the rip, only one of those really piqued my interest. Listen, I think it's refreshing that Moon Knight was self-contained. I really like that, and I'm not against any of those shows being relatively self-contained. I also think, personally, for all of its warts, it did prove that you could launch a new character within the MCU. Did it prove that, the- though? I, I think so. I think so. Obviously, there's going to be a counter takes. And I think that that overall bodes well for future uh, uh, installments. But I do think that they need to figure out what works on a case by case basis. Not every show needs to be six episodes or should be six episodes. Frankly, some of these could be a little bit more like Werewolf by Night, where it's like, hey, let's make essentially a TV movie. Let's let's have a two hour romp. And then that's it. That's the whole story. You don't necessarily need to stretch everything. Like if Moon Knight season two was turned into like, let's make a, a two hour romp or like a three episode thing, just something quick hitting too. I think that would be interesting. Play around, experiment. That's the joy of streaming is that you have a lot of leeway to figure out what works and it doesn't need to be a uniform strategy for each right. and every one of these upcoming TV shows. Well, and I was going to ask, who do you think is to blame for the fact that it, it was six episodes? You think it's the creators not being able to write more? You think it's the studio telling them that it needs to be six or eight? You know, I don't know. It's a good question. Maybe it's, you know, Feige top down and it's more of a kind of Disney plus mandate because the algorithm said six weeks is the optimal time to like avoid churn. I'm not sure. Right. Okay. I I imagine there's probably like a, we want there to be enough content to bridge the gap between our next thing, like Obi-Wan. I know there's like a two week break between, but like, You don't want big gaps uh, or whatever. So, yeah. All right. Let's move on to Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. The MCU's first film of 2022. This was directed by Sam Raimi, stars Benedict Cumberbatch as the titular Doctor Strange, reprising his role from 2016's Doctor Strange, 2018's Avengers Infinity War, 2019's Avengers Endgame, and he also had a cameo role in Thor Ragnarok. Now, Cade. My man, mm. I'm coming to you first, pal. <laughs> you were the first person that I texted when I got out and said, you're going to lose. I, I think my exact quote was, you are going to lose your shit. Sam yeah. Raimi's fingerprints are all over this. Yes. Was I correct? Oh, my God. I, nothing could have prepared me for how much he is, like, all over this thing. Because, like, in the first, like, I don't know, 20 minutes, I was like, I don't know. Like, it, it's he's there, but I wasn't totally sure. And then once you probably get, like, second act after Wanda has, like, been properly introduced, you're like, oh, it's a Sam Raimi fucking joint, dude. Like, let's go. 
uh, all the way through the end, I was so pleased. I started to cry at one moment just because like, not because anything emotional was really happening. It was just like, he's back. What about so his, what about his touches? Do you think that you liked the most? Like, why did you feel like, Oh, this is like, was it the pure horror? Was it the screen transitions and wipes? Was it the general pacing of it? What about Sam's touch? Did you? It's, it's all of that. Like he has a specific kind of horror that is not meant to be jump scary. Like it is like jump scary, but it's like, Jump scares in a way that's like almost not scary. Like it's I like, think it's like a playful kind of jump scare. That's exactly it. That's a good way of putting it. Um, he knows that you're expecting everything and still is able to use it effectively yeah. despite that. He makes it all a fun experience rather than a traumatizing experience, which is good for a Disney movie. Um, and so, you know, there's a, there's a scene, I won't give too much away here, uh, where... Someone well, is, is, let, let me just say this conversation is going to contain spoilers for the entire film. Spoiler warning, spoiler warning, spoiler warning. Go ahead, kid. There's a scene where Wanda is in a house. Uh, and I think it's like the first time we see her in this house. And uh, she's walking through and there are trippy things happening. There are pictures moving. There's a bowl of an ocean um that's cool. really whack shit and you're just like this is freaky and unnerving and there's weird noises um and it's just sinking you into a a feeling of unease that i think he really succeeds at and um that is maintained throughout the whole movie of the movie is called multiverse of madness and you feel madness it is a strange movie where you are like all over the place like i don't know how to put into words it's just a a feeling that you have while watching the movie that i think is uh very transcendent i think i will agree that probably other than eternals considering they use a magic trick known as natural lighting (laughs) and um and probably guardians i'd say that this had the most distinctive aesthetic and that is Mm -hmm. down to one person and one person alone Raimi himself. Now, aesthetic is is a broad term, and it's broad in this sense. The brand of horror, the sort of goofy quick cuts, whereas it's not scaring you in terms of the visual, but scaring you in terms of the editing, how fast it cuts, the sound that pops up, and maybe that's why it's not as inherently scary as like a horror film would be, because the actual image that you're seeing in the horror film is frightening. Whereas in a Doctor Strange movie, there's not going to be that much genuinely horrifying imagery. It's how it's presented to you. As you pointed out, Cade, the sort of quirky visuals that he's able to work into. I thought the cubic universe was so strange. That moment where you see an ocean in a bowl. Evil Doctor Strange is sort of cursed Sanctum Supreme. And then, of course, there's the transitions and the wipes and the way like there's the way there's that famous Spider-Man two shot where Raimi transitions from Spider-Man swinging to Doc Ox. That's awesome. Yeah. Glasses. And there are similar cues in this film. So I think that Marvel, we rolled our eyes when Raimi said they let me maintain full creative control. And while that may not be the case in terms of the story, and I don't think that's the case in any Marvel film ever. I think in terms of visual and aesthetics, they really let him push it as far as he wanted to. And that only lets him, if you let him use his greatest tool, which is that everything becomes better, right? 
because the comedy and the action are in lockstep with his sort of general um, vision, which is most notable in his sort of aesthetic touch. So for me, I think the way that this movie looked was probably my favorite Raimi-esque thing about this. B, thoughts uh, on Raimi? Yeah, Raimi's the best part of this movie. Uh, we're going to get to it. I did not love Multiverse of Madness. I give it about a six and a half out of 10, but none of my qualms or problems are with Raimi. Give that man Fantastic Four. Mm. It'd be really interesting. Um, one other thing I wanted to say is uh, there's a moment where they do like a Looney Tunes kind of like black circle closing in and then popping back out. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. yeah. That I was like, this is so fucking ridiculous. I love this. And then when the demons are swirling around them at the end and they keep cutting from like the POV of the demons where they're just like, whew, and you just see <laughs> their ridiculous faces of the actors as they're trying to mimic fear it's just like this is so insane and i can't believe he got away with you know having uh rachel mcadams have a like canon and say go back to hell or whatever <laughs> the hell. i'm just like this is so awesome man um <laughs> i would say that even his fingerprints are all over the ending too right dr strange is going through down like a very spider-man 2-esque sunny day stroll <laughs> down down the streets and then he just stops and screams in agony so as a good. gruesome third eye opens at the top of his forehead so from beginning to end i think this was a sam raimi experience and for that marvel needs to be given complete credit so now that we've sort of bake ahead I, just just quickly it's like to me if, if you want to boil things down really simply Christopher Nolan, to me, is a tactician. Steven Spielberg is a heartstring puller. Sam Raimi, as evidenced by this and his whole filmography, dazzler. That's what he does. He's going to dazzle you with some nifty tricks, some elevated B-movie sensibilities, and he does it really well here in Doctor Strange. Yeah, uh, yeah that was my favorite part of the movie, as you guys have discussed so, so articulately. So let's move on to the villain of this film and that's wanda now i had said in my quick little 10 minute review podcast that i think what this movie does well is that it while we went into this feeling like it's going to be an event film right but i didn't feel that way i thought it very much felt like a doctor strange film and and that is because it's all relatively self-contained what i mean by that is yes would watching WandaVision have helped you understand the context for her villainy? Absolutely. But the general premise of woman loses kids, woman wants kids back, woman goes to Elseworld world to get them is pretty basic. B, you seem to... I, I don't think you'd understand Wanda's current position here without having watched WandaVision. And I also still have a, a lot of issues with the, in my opinion, failure to bridge both projects. Okay, go ahead then. I, I think we've already seen Wanda transition from villain to hero. That was the entire arc of Ultron. That's why it really made sense. That's why her and Hawkeye's relationship and her and Viz's relationship were so touching because you saw them start from kind of point A to point B in such an organic way. So to revert back to her villainy, I think is not only frustrating and repetitive, I don't think it makes sense or tracks with what happened in WandaVision, which is really laying the groundwork. Here, you would have, if you haven't watched WandaVision, you've seen a hero just start the movie at, at a fucking 11 with no room to grow. She is starting the movie off as a Terminator. And it's very confusing despite the, the kid thing about it, which again, is very hard to explain if you haven't seen WandaVision. On top of that, I think this retroactively makes the very ill-advised, horrible absolution that Rambo offers Wanda 
at the end of WandaVision, which I hated then because she was the bad guy who's getting away without any consequences for trapping an entire town. And she's like, they'll never know what you sacrificed. Hated it then. Even worse now because she just doubles down and feels entirely <laughs> justified on her worst villainy, which includes mass murder. And you can say, oh, but she's under the Darkhold's influence and it really you know, changes her behavior. Sure, I say that's fucking lazy because this is just an absolute absurd 180 and simply retroactively makes her actions even worse. That, that nobody is calling her out for what she's doing wrong. And I, I think turning her into lit, while she's very good at being the Terminator of this movie, and she was terrifying, I think that character turn is so beyond a logical leap and so out of step with what she was feeling at the end of WandaVision that it, it really, it didn't work for me story-wise. It absolutely worked for me, Sam Raimi horror, this is my villain-wise. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes, and the point that I was going to make is, and you sort of made it for me, was that while, I, like, so I felt that it was explainable in terms of plotting, but not in terms, like, you didn't need to watch WandaVision to understand the plot, but to understand her motivations, which, and that was my question. Hold on. But, but my question was, do you buy the reason for her villainy being that Scarlet Witch has taken over her brain and trapped the real Wanda in some corner? That, to me, was garbage. And that was sort of my problem. And, and, and that is the point I was trying to get to, is that while you're able to follow along and understand why Wanda is doing what she's doing, the reason that she's doing it, utterly ridiculous. And I think you're right. It is such a sort of, what are those toys that we, we would seesaw? go on? A seesaw. It's such a seesaw of a character who, you're right, started off as villain, then became good guy, and now became villain again, and so on and so forth. And it's just whiplash to the effect yeah. of is she ever going to serve something except as being an agent of chaos and yeah. that basically is all she's been so far so in terms of wanda as a villain like you said b was she literally scary yes but the way that marvel is sort of deploying her whenever they need her to be a bad guy and that that hasn't really worked for me here i was expecting there to be another villain like I didn't Same. expect her to be the villain. There, there was a scene in the trailer that they kind of used to misdirect us where it shows her standing side by side with Wong. So I thought to myself, oh, okay, by the time the third act comes, she'll have seen the wrongs of her ways, which she does, and then joins the good team to fight whatever multiversal threat she helped unleash. That was not the case. And so to me, I guess my ultimate point is Wanda as a villain was a letdown. Yeah. And just quickly, I'm going to jump in and Kate, you take it away. I think Seesaw is the perfect analogy because it's a back and forth. That's what the, the toy does. We have seen Wanda do exactly this in different circumstances. In Ultron, she essentially lets go of, you know, the, the destruction of her country and her family because the greater good is I want to, I don't want humanity to die. So I have to turn on Ultron, even though our agendas do align. She saw the greater good and weighed the moral uh, 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 kind of weight of, of what that is and decided I'm going to do the right thing here. What her agenda is. I want to be with my, with my kids, but the bigger picture, the greater good, the, the moral arc is the multiverse messes up. They already have a mom. They're happy where they are. And maybe I shouldn't be murdering literally hundreds of people to get my 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 uh, my way. So the fact that she does, it literally cancels out the lesson she already learned that we already saw. This is literally the same exact character dilemma, just painted with a new color. 
And I think that's lazy. And I, I actually think it's, it's borderline, like a terrible thing to do to Wanda's character. Cade. Hmm. Yeah. I, so I like all of the idea of Wanda as the sole villain of this movie. She is responsible for everything and all that, but Wanda as a character has been 50 50 on what you're going to get in every product she shows up in. Is she going to be good or is she going to be bad? And it's like, there is no arc like there is for every other MCU character where they are going on a evolving journey and characters are naturally, they are contradictory. People are that way, but like, comes to a point where it's like all right you have a problem and we need to, we need to sort this out um <laughs> we 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 uh, there's a reason you're not in the lunchbox anymore um yeah. this and, is an intervention one that we're yeah. all here because we care about you that's exactly it it's just like there there's a long-running issue here with this character and like they don't know how to give her an arc like WandaVision was the arc and it seems like they are just doing arc two, like just repeating right. it. Like you said, with a different color. Um, I like her role in this movie. So I, uh, I saw my dad who had not watched WandaVision. And then I explained this movie to someone who doesn't watch Marvel. And <laughs> both of them were like, why is she doing this? Like what, what I'm I, they get the reason like of a child. She's like, that just seems like a little extreme. Right. And I'm right. like, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know, but <laughs> and that's the point that I'm trying to make. You could understand it, but not, yeah. not comprehend it. You know that's I mean? exactly. I mean, it. vision himself in WandaVision was like, Hey Wanda, you're doing the wrong thing. And ultimately she was like, okay. After obviously a lot of back and forth, but yeah. so for her to just about face because of children that aren't technically hers and already have a good mom who is her. Yeah, come on, you know. Well, and then that leads me into my final point about Wanda. What did you think about the ultimate resolution wherein she's defeated by being used as a mirror against her own kids? Like her kids see her for the monster that she truly is. I mean, I think that in terms of superhero movies, that is a relatively, while hokey and perhaps <laughs> predictable, a relatively earnest and unique um resolution for Sam Raimi kind of a thing, villain yeah like usually they get disintegrated or thrown in jail or yeah. sent to some kind of realm or whatever but at this time it just came down to her seeing a better version of herself and her seeing herself through her kids eyes and I thought that that was actually quite quite shrewd uh, yeah, I mean, Sam Raimi likes to find the humanity in in some very abhorrent people, I think. Um, I mean, I not to uh, bring up Spider-Man 3, 15th uh, anniversary over here. Um, the <laughs> the uh, ending of that movie with Sandman is Peter Parker forgiving a very bad person, arguably, and seeing the reason why he did it. And this movie kind of does something very similar where this is a bad person, but they're doing it for children, their children. Right. right. And, and they have to come to realize that they, you know, it, how do you explain this? Like love is not about yourself. Love is about the other person too. And at the beginning of the movie, Dr. Strange is saying like, you know, I'm happy. You're happy. Right. That's a whole thing that people say when they break up with their, their lovers and whatnot. And, and that, should go for her kids too, where she has to realize her kids are happy with their mom. Right. right. And, and she doesn't realize that cause she's not happy. And so she's trying to solve the issue by taking away their mom and in turn traumatizing her own children yeah. and, and coming through like this witch. And it's, it's a very effective thing. It, it is a little hokey, but like, I think it's incredibly effective. And I think it's 
the best way to resolve it because I don't really care to see a big third act uh, colorful fight right here. Like I want to see right like wanda versus wanda yeah it doesn't really matter to me i want to see a more emotional payoff here and i think you know for all of the problems the movie does have i think this this resolution is is satisfying and and uh, a beautiful moment okay that was excellently articulated seriously a a beautiful kind of synopsis of I think why I'm so frustrated with this movie, I would have rather it just been outright bad so that it would have been simple. But the fact is it's so mixed for me, which makes me more frustrated because the actual themes of this movie, which are what like you and Eric just said, the best versus worst version of yourself Mm -hmm. extending into this idea of moral superiority. Everyone in this movie thinks they have the moral high ground, including frankly, the Illuminati who who are dead wrong about multiple things too, which we'll get to in a second. (laughs) <laughs> and within that moral superiority is also this idea of, of isolation and alienation as this person of great power and great responsibility. And those are really, really, really good themes done very well in specific moments of this movie. But I think the writing fails it over the course of the entire story. And that's why I was so frustrated. Final point on Wanda real quick. Do we think she's actually dead? No. no, absolutely not. Zero percent not dead. Yep, that's I mean, a resounding no from the boys. Fool me once, shame explode. on me. Fool me twice. <laughs> I don't know. I think I got that wrong, but Marvel, I'm on to you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Next topic is one that I strangely, pun intended, uh, found the hardest to take notes on, and that is Doctor Strange, despite the fact that he is the namesake of this film. Here is what I loved about this movie most, and I think is a credit to Sam Raimi and his sort of throwback styles no way home right did that feel like a spot or how could i word this batman v superman they wanted to pretend that that was a man of steel sequel quote unquote (laughs) but it wasn't it was a team building franchise starter we never got a proper man of steel sequel and when multiverse of madness was on the way hearing all these reports of cameos and characters i was wondering if we were going down that same path if Doctor Strange is just going to be the face of what's really a team-up film, as No Way Home was. The point that I'm trying to make is this very much felt like a Doctor Strange sequel. This felt like a day in the life of Doctor Strange. What it's like to be the Sorcerer Supreme when elements from other universes are crashing in and you don't have the help of Spider-Man or Tony Stark or Thor or anybody, and you've got to use the mystic arts to solve your problems. I thought that the film exceeded in that exponentially, both in the way, like the way that Doctor Strange existed in multiple universes and how he was different in each one to the way that his powers were actually used, like the imagery of of his powers where they're fighting with the music notes and all that shit. But despite all of that, I don't feel like Doctor Strange really had a story in this movie. I felt like he was more of a backseat to the arc that Wanda was going through and America was going through, and even to a lesser extent, the likes of Mordo and Wong. So I guess my point is, did this movie make you appreciate the Doctor Strange character more or less? Because I can't really define if our character has improved or grown from this. I just know that this was a great exhibition and what I like about Doctor Strange. Brandon, I'll let you take that. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so the idea of a multiverse movie, in my opinion, 
revolves around forcing characters to reckon with self-reflection. That's the entire reason of creating a best version and a worst version. So you can see what you're capable of, what path you're choosing, and what's already wrong inside. I think that's the entire reason why a multiverse exists outside of like the fun cameo kind of franchise building. I don't think it's necessarily leveraged well here. I think they're really, really soft arcs for Doctor Strange. And it's built entirely around the dynamics slash perception of other Stranges and the juxtaposition with our Strange coming as this kind of secondary catalyst that feels light in comparison. And I'm going to get to it a little bit more when we discuss the... uh, Wait, are uh, you saying that you think that our Strange feels like a multiversal JV Strange? No, not in terms of um, like power set or anything. Oh, I, okay. I just think his arc is built entirely on our perception of other strangers. Right, right. And right. I'm gonna again, I'm gonna get to this a little bit more when when we talk about the Illuminati. But that growth and everything, I think, should is better served with the characters that are in the main story rather than characters or ideas of characters that we don't spend a lot of time with throughout the multiverse. I think there's a way to balance both that this doesn't, and I think Doctor Strange. As a result, 616, our, our strange, comes through a little light, a little soft on, on the arc game. And yeah. I just, listen, you know, I, I know he's kind of walked it back since, but the fact that Benedict Cumberbatch himself said in like the last six or eight months, like, you know, do I even have an arc in this in a, in a certain interview? I, I think that says, you know, there's a little bit of legitimacy to the criticism, though I, I get that he walked it back. Let me just note on Strange before I forget one of my favorite, I don't know, I think running joke is a strong word recurring themes were people people questioning his choice of giving the time stone to thanos i absolutely fucking loved that that was great because not only does it force strange to reckon with the most arrogant character in the mcu as a whole probably has never doubted himself once makes him reckon with did i actually make the right choice gives you a window into what could have happened if he didn't per the strange from the illuminati verse i think uses the dark hole to beat thanos instead and it corrupts him so i think that the questioning of strange's heroism both as a joke and in terms seriously like there were points where it was used as a joke like dog really did you really need to do that so i love that the way that not only was strange literally forced to reckon with himself via other versions of himself but reckon with himself within the context of how his own universe sees him. He probably came back from Titan thinking, fuck yeah, I'm that dude. The people are <laughs> going to love me now. And and he gets back and he's seen as sort of this pariah who almost opened the damn wall and let Thanos in. So I thought that that was a fascinating spin on a choice that I thought that they were going to gloss over completely. So to see them work that in, I thought was real smart. Cade, what do you think about Strange in this film? I'm wrestling with a lot of what you guys have said because I, I I definitely agree, but like I I I felt a certain kind of way watching it. I, I don't know what it was. I, I think just um Raimi is again good at creating conflict with a hero and his love interest and making you be like this this guy, poor guy, you know, he can't have what he wants because of his obligations to the world and and the other problems that he has uh and at the end of the movie i thought it was a a beautiful moment to see him you know be able to explain to christine even though it's not his christine why he understands they can't be together but his still his love is universal for her and i thought that was a wonderful moment 
Um, but yeah, outside of that, like there's not a larger arc that like I feel is like ended with a, a, a period, you know, it doesn't feel like I have a definitive understanding of where this Doctor Strange ends on a thematic level. Um, like you could say that they pulled that off in No Way Home, right? I think Peter so. completes yeah. his arc. I don't think that that's the case yeah. here yet. Absolutely. Um, they, I yeah. just I said this in my tweet. To me, Strange uh, Multiverse of Madness feels like a somewhat aimless sprint from one set piece to the next. Sure. And it doesn't let any of the character beats breathe or grow. Because just honestly, think about it structurally. Opens with Defender Strange. Then, and that's a huge, a huge thing. Then we have Christine's wedding, which leads into the one-eyed monster attacking, which leads into America Chavez, which then leads into him going to Wanda and basically being threatened. So another exposition dump that leads into the uh, assault on Carmitage, which then, which then leads into the multiverse uh, shenanigans jumping, which then leads into more exposition, which then leads into an absolute murder of multiple people, which then leads into <laughs> the final confrontation. Like genuinely, I just described the entire movie. It is. Yeah. exposition dumps bridging huge set pieces and i'm not saying there aren't entertaining moments but if we're talking about arcs and the emotionality i just don't think it landed for me i don't i don't think it, it, it was planned out well i don't think it was written well yeah that's probably fair yeah spoilers Cade, <laughs> <laughs> is that all you, you've got on strange yeah i think so i mean like i like the character so i don't feel any lesser about him i just think that uh, for his second outing, there is not a thematic level of growth that I would have liked to see. Uh, but they they do cool things, just they don't amount to anything on a large scale. That's well said. I think you just said what I said with a lot less words, a lot more clarity. <laughs> I should I should have gone with that. Everyone strike what I said. Just listen to Kate. I, I ramble a lot too, so don't don't worry about it. So okay, last point on strange, which version was your favorite for me it was the like the demon souls one that was so fucking cool to end of death and this is why i think that i think that b and the general public should probably give this film a bit more credit because to end a superhero film a marvel <laughs> film with your main hero as a grotesque version undead version of himself with black demon hands forming a cape that he flies around in. I thought that that was fucking sick. I I love that he's a zombie, but like his like body is decayed even though he's been in there for a day. Like not even probably. Like right, he's, right. he's like completely decomposed. But uh just, you know, the we all knew it was coming cuz it was in the trailers, but like uh just the reveal of this character doing the evil dead thing where the arm comes out of the ground and the lightning striking in the background of the music and, and his joints being all gross. Yeah. 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 And then uh, having to fight these demons and conquer them to become his own. And I was just like, dude, dude, this fucking rocks. So yeah, I mean, that is an awesome way to have a third act battle for a Doctor Strange movie where he's not just doing magic, but like just using the weirdest parts of the multiverse yep. to his advantage. Yep. Look, I, I really thought that was cool Raimi flavor mm -hmm. and I, I liked the battle. But my drawback is when the emotional climax of the two main characters in America Chavez and Stephen Strange, whose dynamic is the foundation for this entire movie, rests on her talking, 
intimately with a corpse. It just didn't <laughs> land for me. The actual <laughs> conversation between them, like it's not supposed to be funny, and I'm I'm like laughing at how ridiculous I think sure. it is. Right. But yeah. I I liked the action preceding that. You, everything you said about like the way the body moves and the the con- concept of him zombie fighting from a different dimension, very cool. Uh, all right, so let's move on to probably the biggest talking point from this film. That is the in- the fleeting introduction of the Illuminati from Earth. What, what is that? Eight three eight, which consists of John Krasinski as Mister Fantastic. Quick note: He Mr. says, Fantastic. "Sorry, I've been waiting all week to do that." What? The, the Shaggy Mister Fantastic. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in this, he says real quick that he has kids. That could be a hint at Nathaniel Richards, a.k.a. Kang. John Krasinski, fantastic check. We've got Lashana Lynch reprising her role from Captain Marvel as an alternate universe version of Maria Rambeau. In that universe, she is Captain Marvel. We have Peggy Carter as Captain Carter. We have Patrick Stewart. Oh, sorry. We have Haley Atwell. Yeah, as I was like, Peggy- <laughs> we have Haley Atwell as <laughs> Peggy that. Carter, who is Captain Carter. We've got Patrick Stewart as Professor X should be noted. It appears that he's the version from the 90s cartoon, which the MCU is reviving in the upcoming years. We have an alternate version of Baron Mordo. We have Anson Mount as Black Bolt, the same actor who portrayed Black Bolt in the failed Inhuman show. Guess what? They're all dead. (laughs) What did you guys think of this whole conceit? Was it fan service or was it a fun detour? I've seen people complaining online like, Oh, the cameos were such shallow fan service. Blah, blah, blah. To me, this is exactly what a cameo is supposed to be. Something yeah. that makes you get on the edge of your seat for 10 minutes and then they're gone. Yeah. I thought the idea, well, not B, you've had this thought. You've been talking about this for Thor Love and Thunder for like a year now that Russell Crowe was cast in the role as Zeus just so they could have uh Gore show up and body him, and that is eventually, and that is essentially what they did in this film. They had what amounts to another universe's Avengers. They plucked probably the most famous MCU fan casting of the last five years, made it a real thing, and murdered them all. And I think that that is a lot of fun. I enjoy that. Would I have? Would I like to see? Krasinski in the role going forward? Absolutely. But do I think that this is such a smart use of having your cake and eating it too? Absolutely. Because they were able to give fans a fun moment in terms of years of Marvel fandom within the construct of the film itself. Oh, Fantastic Four here. This is great. While also not tying themselves to it long-term. Yeah. uh, They, they, uh, it's upsetting to watch almost because you're like, oh, I love all of these actors and I love all of these characters. But I think that's the point. It is. And it, it's so effective because it's like, oh, my God, Wanda killed two of the most powerful superheroes ever in 30 fucking seconds and then snapped Professor Xavier's neck in like an alternate universe. Like, just like, <laughs> what the fuck? Um, she turned fantastic into ribbons, dog. It, like, it what? Like, she put him through like a cheese grater, you know? It's yeah. Just, uh, one of the craziest things I've ever seen. And the way she kills Black Bolt by shutting his mouth and making him like scream internally so it blows up his own head. I mean, come on. That's that's amazing. Um, yeah, I like I like Krasinski as as uh, Reed Richards uh, as well. And I would be down to see him again uh, in the proper 616 universe. Um, 
I reckon that he is one of the people that they did not get during principal photography because the rumor was like last December or whatever that they were doing reshoots for cameos. And I looked into what he was doing last summer and he was filming Jack Ryan last May. So I assume uh, he came in later because I, I felt like he was kind of like separate from everyone when I was watching the movie. Like he didn't really talk to other people aside from Strange. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, he, he wasn't here for this. But uh, and that might be why he's not in the larger fight. He just immediately killed. Um, right. True. But I, I loved seeing him. Uh, he's, he's good in the role. And uh, it was just an awesome scene just to showcase Wanda's power set. I'm mixed, guys. I'm mixed. I, I think <laughs> there is an emotional and physical response, and then there's the mental response. And uh-huh. in the moment, emotionally and physically, I'm like, this is so much fun. This is so cool. This is scary. Mm-hmm. And it accomplishes what Sam Raimi wants to accomplish. The mental, when you step back and think about it, it just, I'm sorry, none of it holds up because these <laughs> cameos feel so much less necessary than No Way Home. Mm-hmm. In that, the cameos... What? Here, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain it. And the longer I talk, the more sense it's going to make. In that, all of the cameos service Tom Holland's Peter Parker arc. In his lowest moment, the only way he's able to learn and come to grips with not only the loss, but the self-sacrifice required to be Spider-Man is from other Spider-Man. Here's yes. the problem though. Those aren't cameos. Those are characters. Yeah. Well, well here, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get to it because I, I think the reason it fails is because again, Tom Holland, he can only learn those lessons from himself. So it reinforces his emotional journey from kind of callow, uh, a little bit still selfish Spider-Man to someone who's, who's really an adult by the end, willing to sacrifice uh, for the greater good. Here, it's more of a kind of OMG detour to establish Wanda's bona fides, like you said, which we already knew because she almost soloed Thanos, so it wasn't necessary. <laughs> but really, more importantly, they ignore, the Illuminati ignore every single thing that these guys are telling them in terms of the dangers and Wanda and all that, just so they can exposition dump about how their universe's strange made a big mistake. And here's the juxtaposition that we've been talking about. It's, it's strange V another strange, and he has to be the better version than all the rest that we've seen. That, that's why they're there, to exposition dump about that. But we know from the opening scene of Defender Strange, who's decided I'd rather kill American Chavez than let the monster take her power. We already had established that there is a moral spectrum of strangers and that some of them are willing to do bad things for the greater good. And this one has to learn that yes, the individual matters. And sometimes saving humanity means not sacrificing your own humanity. That message was already delivered. And frankly, it could have been delivered again in something that's not as cameo, OMG, LOL, highlight reel as a, an Illuminati get together that ultimately proves unnecessary. And I also want to take this opportunity to point out This is the MCU's introduction to both mutants and Fantastic Four. And it is utterly non, not nonsensical, but utterly stakeless because there's a multiverse. We know a million of them are out there. They're introduced and then dispatched with haste. So I think ultimately it really rings hollow because it actually doesn't accomplish what it's in there from a plot function to do because we've already established that. So it only becomes a repetitive, starry, uh, uh, wow, watch this sequence type of moment. Again, I loved the horror. I loved how badass Wanda was. But to me, it was failed fan service. Something that I just remembered while you were talking about that. Uh, 
at the beginning of the movie, Defender Strange says something along the lines of like their lives are worth sacrificing in like the greater calculus. Yeah, that's it. That's the line from No Way Home when he's talking to Peter about like these guys have to die. Fuck them. So it's interesting that this is still like that part of him, that moral confusion of like he's willing to sacrifice people still exists in the 616 version of Doctor Strange. It's just like in a different capacity. He doesn't seem willing to sacrifice America Chavez, um, but he would kill bad people, uh, even though they may have some good in them still. Uh, that was just a quick side note. That I just so, B, how would you have rather that scene played out then? Less famous actors, different characters. What exactly is? Because uh, I'm just, I hear your point about it narratively, but I'm not hearing. Uh, I just don't understand in a literal sense what you didn't like about it. I just think it's it's unnecessary because if but, it's trying to, teach- so are the whole fucking movie. So is the so is all this shit. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, that's so ridiculous to me. Arc, you have to keep a clear and concise storytelling development. And this is just retreading old ground. And I think this plays into my also larger problem with the film is the multiverse of madness spends more than two and a half seconds on all of two universes. One of which is the Illuminati, which I says feels empty from a narrative standpoint. It doesn't really accomplish its goal. And one of which is um, Dark Doctor Strange, whose universe is already ruined. It's a desolate wasteland. There's, there's not much new in terms of new experience there so the two multiverses we visit don't really amount to much i would have much rather spent time in the other ones that we skipped through so quickly to really see the differences instead of rather getting yet another expedition uh, dump about hey other strangers can sometimes be up to no good and we hold you to a higher moral standard audience remember this he this is his big character pivot this is where it's gonna happen so for me it, it really failed at what it was trying to set out to do and is ultimately something cool but unnecessary. But let me, and then, then let me just make this point. I think that this circles back to what we touched on at the top, which is the Sam Raimi of it all. The next time we see Reed Richards, he's not going to die. Yeah. Like this was sort of a one, one-off chance to have fun with these characters before they're integral parts of this franchise. The next time we see Reed, He's going to be the MCU hero. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It will never fear for his life ever. So to see him literally get fucking ripped to shreds <laughs> is like a visceral experience that we'll never get again. And if you don't take it now, who knows when they could have. Would a filmmaker, like would Scott Derrickson have done this? Who knows? But I think that it. I'm probably sure Raimi went to Marvel saying, fine. I'll include your X, Y, and Z, but you got to let me kill the shit out of them. <laughs> Again, yeah. from, from the Terminator angle, it works because Wanda is just an absolute unstoppable force. But at the same time, it feels the stakes don't feel quite as high because of the multiverse. I'm like, well, we can just kind of reverse this or find another you. And it's a little bit like Days of Future Past, which I love but which starts with all of them getting killed and then it being immediately erased, which I'm like, okay, so really nothing is going to stick. All right, let's uh, move on to the post credit scene before we wrap up here. Let me recap for w- what happened in case you forgot. The main reveal is that Charlize Theron has joined the Marvel Cinematic Universe as a character named Clea. In the first of the two post credit scenes, Strange is walking through the streets of New York 
definitely stopped by none other than Oscar winner Charlize Theron, who appears to be playing a character known as Clea. Clea, who tears open the multiverse and opens a portal to the dark dimension from the first Doctor Strange movie, asks Strange for his help to fix the multiversal mistakes that he's caused. Quote, you caused an incursion and we need to fix it. Incursion is a term that's tossed around this film quite a bit that Sam Raimi doesn't really delve into, but it's going to be important going forward. As explained by John Krasinski's Reed Richards, incursions are cataclysms in which two universes in the multiverse collide, leading to their mutual destruction. Strange's third eye then appears before he and Clea hop into the dark dimension. Now, I, along with many other people who have seen this, think that this uh, incursion plot device is leading us towards one thing and one thing alone, and that is Secret Wars which is basically a famed Marvel comic book storyline in which rival universes and different versions of our favorite heroes are sent to a battle world to fight each other to the death. Now, Marvel also confirms that Doctor Strange, quote, will return, which is something that they do quite often. I'm assuming this means a Doctor Strange 3. So given that I assume both of you have no idea who Clea is, let me explain to you, and then we could talk about what we think about the post credit scene this is a description of her character in the comics courtesy of collider.com clea is the daughter of prince orini son of the olmar <laughs> i love that guy marvel gum <laughs> <laughs> son of the olmar in line to rule over the dark dimension the same dimension where the ancient one drew her power from she's also the niece of dormammu the villain from the first doctor strange film she first meets Doctor Strange in the comics during his trip to the Dark Dimension to stop Dormammu's plan to invade Earth. After being impressed by his skills, she tries to save his life, but is eventually captured by Dormammu. Once Dormammu owes Strange a debt... So we've kind of gotten a bit of this plot in uh, Doctor Strange 1. Once mm-hmm. Dormammu owes Strange a debt for helping him contain mindless ones, Strange bargains for Clea's release, as well as sparing Earth from Dormammu's plans. So we they they pick and chose a bit of that from from the first Doctor Strange. Uh, Clea is half Faltine, a being born of pure magic and half dark dimensional mortal. So I don't know what that means, but in layman's terms, it sounds like you shouldn't fuck with her. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she is trained under Doctor Strange in the ways of sorcery and can even fly on her own. In in the comics, Clea and Doctor Strange grow closer together over their adventures, so much so that they are eventually romantically linked. The push and pull relationship across the comics leads to heartfelt goodbyes, emotional reunions, and a future wedding. That's right. Clea is Doctor Strange's future wife. Now, I don't think anybody is going to know that upon seeing this scene on in theaters. That is why they cast Charlize Theron. So instead of people being like, oh, it's Clea, they're just going to be like, oh, it's Charlize Theron. <laughs> That's exactly what I said. <laughs> so, so, okay. I mean, look. Charlize Theron, I'd argue, is one of the great action stars of the last 10, 15 years. So for Marvel, that's a huge get. Having her play a character like Clea is sort of like how I felt about them having Jake Gyllenhaal play Mysterio, where it's like, fuck, you've got this dope actor and you've kind of put them in in this obscure role. So I'm not even really going to ask you about Clea. Were you excited to see Charlize Theron pop on screen, folks, fellas, gentlemen? I I walked out of that post-credit scene with a thought in my mind. And I did some research over the last few days 
to confirm or kind of put to bed what my thought was. And I have since reached the infallible conclusion that that is the single worst costume, <laughs> hair, and makeup in MCU history. Ever. It was pretty weird. It was it, just awful. It looked like it was from that failed Netflix show, Jupiter's Legacy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it absolutely did. And I agree completely with you, uh, uh, Eric. I, I get that for opportunities and, and whatnot. It's really cool for Charlize Theron. But like, why is she becoming like an arms player, like a utility player to like bring into Fast and Furious? Yeah. <laughs> she should be headlining her own installments in these franchises. Yeah. So to bring her in to this like 2009 post credit scene. That's what it felt like, man. Yeah, jump on in to me for an, yeah. another like, adventure. <laughs> like, like they haven't figured out how to Next really week on Doctor Strange. Yeah. <laughs> it, it genuinely felt like a Saturday morning cartoon, like tag scene, you know, where it's like, hey, next week, the super friends get together. I thought it was horrible. And I think it's 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 it looked ugly. And I'm really disappointed in the actual aesthetic of Charlize Theron. Having said that, I'm sure she's going to crush it as we get to kind of know her character more. But Boy, was I just, I left that snickering. <laughs> Fade? God bless Sam Raimi for making the most niche MCU movie he possibly could with people like Black Bolt and Clea. And just like, there was a guy sitting next to me when Black Bolt showed up. And it's kind of like a big reveal, like the camera pans over him and he has a moment. And the guy said, who the fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I just laughed at myself. Um, on his head. Yeah, he was like, what? <laughs> and, uh, and then when Clea showed up, he's like, I don't, I don't know who that is. <laughs> it's just, I'm like, all right, God bless you, Sam. Uh, it's just stuff like that. It's hilarious. But yeah, my dad was like, who is that? And I was like, that that's Charlize Theron. He's like, yeah, but who's she playing? Like, I have no idea. Yeah, uh, I had no clue. <laughs> But I was like, it, this is a really weird, like, almost kind of felt like the Thanos post credit scene at the end of Avengers. But right. like, if that wasn't more enticing, like, because that's like, oh, if right. you do know him, that leads to some crazy stuff. And then here it's like, I know some stuff about her now. And I'm like, I, I don't know. She falls in love with him, I guess. <laughs> but does So I guess what I want to point out is, does the character of Clea excite us, we people? Probably not. But does the prospect of her introduction in Doctor Strange 3 being the beginning of Secret Wars, does that excite you? That, for that, I would say yes. Yes. Well, what did the Russos tell you personally, Eric? Oh, well, that, well, <laughs> that was a few years ago. At this, So this is summer 2022. So this was two years ago at this point. The Russos told me that they would come back for that film. And that is a sentiment that I feel has only grown in past years. There have been rumors that they have already yeah. signed on for a new project. So it would not shock me at all. By the way, I'm worried about the gray bad boys. Really? Why? The facial hair is not a good sign compared to how bad Cherry was and the facial hair of the main two characters, <laughs> the gray man. I'm officially worried, but that's <laughs> not here nor there. I, I yeah. have I've heard and like this is straight rumor, like not even worth like reporting on any sort of legitimacy. But I have heard, you know, whispers that Toby and or Garfield could return for Secret Wars. Okay. Which, be... you know, that's a great way to reintroduce them again. You know, I, yes. I think that's a fitting, uh, uh, you know, fan service element meets plot necessity. It's yeah. also a way that they could nitpick any Fox X-Men characters that they want to try and keep. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I think Fossbender might have shot something from Multiverse that got cut. I think oh, that's wow. the case. Well, Loki was supposed to be in this too. Hollywood Reporter said like when Loki wrapped up, like, oh yeah, he's going to be in Doctor Strange. Right. That right. would have made sense up. given Michael Waldron wrote yeah. both. Yeah. So I just, I'm, I'm, 
between incursions and net and nexus points, they couldn't have figured out a way to make them one and the same. <laughs> Come on, guys. I, the I, multiverse, it's, it's been around for a year, and I'm all and I am already in the weeds in it's terms wild. of the rules yeah. of it all. Yeah. It's um, it's confusing. I mean, listen, I think I was still a little bit lost with the trimming of timelines and Loki. And like that was like 101 multiverse. We're like a you know senior level shit. <laughs> all right. So I think that's all for multiverse of madness. I mean, is there anything big that we missed? I'd say the only big thing that we did talk about is maybe America Chavez, another potential young Avenger brought into oh, yeah, the that'd be cool. MCU. But other than that, I think we really got the whole the whole film, right, boys? If she yeah. does join the young Avengers, like, I'm sorry, there, there's no one that can match her. She's no, got the she's, best power. She's really yeah. Like, I, I really love Kate Bishop a lot. I think that character's great. I love Haley Steinfeld. But, you know, she, your bow and arrow versus this dimension hopping yeah, super strength. She could turn you into an inside out grape. Um, <laughs> the only uh, thing. Uh, go ahead, Kate. The only thing I would say is I'm glad. I When I saw the Illuminati revealed, I was like, uh, man, I wish Toby was here. And then five minutes later, I'm like, I'm glad he's not here. I'm glad he didn't fucking close that up or whatever. And also, Kate, you put out in a tweet last night, and I think a lot of people have said this. Why did Marvel spoil Captain Carter and Captain Marvel in the marketing? Professor X, just to like give us one to get the hype going, that was enough. But why they released the other two is beyond me. I have no idea. So for me, the only genuine surprise that I got was Black Bolt because... Krasinski had been murmured for a long time. Uh, So that was the only surprise. And most of those surprises were ruined by Marvel themselves. Mm -hmm. So I I just don't understand that. So just quickly, you know, I I said up top, I give it a six and a half out of 10. I'd love to hear what you guys give it. Okay. So I don't give tens, right? I mean, I I don't even think I would give Batman a 10. So I'm really grading on a curve out of nine. And to that said, I'd, I'd say a seven. I think it's a seven out of nine. I was going to say 7.5. I think that's probably yeah. where I uh, out of 10. Um, so, yeah, uh, Raimi does an amazing. In the hands of a lesser director, I think this could have been a bad movie. Like, Brandon, <laughs> my, uh, my friend who I brought with us to see Batman, he texted me as soon as he got out. And he was like, yo, that was average as fuck. And the first thing that you said to me was like, I didn't like it. So it seems to be that opinions are all over the board and that made me worry if i was like grading on a doctor strange curve because i've been open about the fact that he is my favorite mcu character and b you and i have talked about this a lot of getting lost in your own self-bias when you're trying to analyze how you feel about a film like was there ever a world where i was like doctor strange sucked (laughs) batman sucked i don't know if that world exists so i have to be cautious of that. Do I think it's the best MCU film of all time? No, but I do. But I did put out a ranking of my MCU sequels, mm-hmm. and I think it's third behind Winter Soldier and Ragnarok. Oh, and also sequels, not counting Infinity War, Endgame, and makes sense. No Way Home, like proper sequels. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, I think that'll do it for this week's packed post-cred pod. It's been a while since we've had a show this big. Keep your eyes posted in the coming weeks for our interview with John Hamm. We talked to him about Top Gun Maverick, the town, and why he seems to like to make fun of himself so much. (laughs) Keep your eyes posted for Brandon. He's got some career developments that could see him returning to the show a bit more in the future. Keep an eye out on Cade. It's because he's a young gun coming up in the world. (laughs) Got that energy, man. That youthful buoyancy. (laughs) And uh, keep an eye on me because I love y'all. All Uh, all right. (laughs) We we will will talk to you next week. Peace. Peace.